Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Lord willing, next week we're going to begin a new series for the fall in the book of Joshua. And we're going to study that uh, until December uh, as we enter kind of a new era of uh, ministry and a new focus on outreach. And I plan to start that series this morning, but as I began to study Joshua 1, I felt very strongly uh, in my heart that we needed to delay that this week. And we needed to study this passage. You remember last week, um, we looked at five reasons why the Lord allows difficulties in our lives and how we respond to that. And we um, especially looked at in terms of those that love Him because it seems in a sense that if you love Him and you serve Him that you should be exempt, but that's not the case. And we talked last week a little bit about um, Hurricane Harvey and about our friend Lelia who has been uh, paralyzed in that tragic accident at Village Creek. But this study this morning in Matthew 25 is kind of um, a brother to that study last week. Because we're seeing this new hurricane which is hitting Florida as we speak. And um, it, it, as I thought about that, the Lord just kind of gave me this thought. Um, there's a spiritual principle that is established in this text, in Matthew 25, that we're seeing played out on the news. Did you know that you can see scriptural principles reinforced and proven by watching the Weather Channel? That you can see scriptural principles and what Jesus is teaching you this morning when you hear the governor of Florida speak or when you see people heading up the turnpike north trying to get away from the storm or, or going into shelters or even standing on the beach as the winds are whipping. Not the Weather Channel guys, the other guys. I thought about that as I was watching that this week and and some people have responded to what's going on that's, that's happening in the world. And they've said, well, this is a time of God's judgment on our country. And, and you know what? I'm sure that's well-intentioned. But we have to be very careful about um, declaring what God's wrath is. At the same time, we should really be um, looking at what's going on. And, and I think it's got to grab our attention and turn us back to Him, right? Because it's not just hurricanes that are going on. It's this massive earthquake, 8.1, that's taking place in Mexico. It's these huge wildfires that are out in the West. It's the ongoing threat of North Korea. And that's, that's just what happened this week. And if you actually look back a page to chapter 24 and verse 4, Jesus says that many of the things that we're seeing right now are a prelude to the passage that we're studying this morning and what we're going to talk about. So look at chapter 24 for a minute and look at verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, for that's not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be earthquakes and famines, but these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Jesus says that in the days prior to his return, there will be many people who deceive and many people who declare that they are the Savior. And there will be wars and rumors of wars and nation will rise against nation and there will be famines and earthquakes. And the, the phrase that he uses to describe this, which is aligned with what we're witnessing right now, is that there are the birth pangs. They're the, the clear signal that the waiting's just about done. And that what he 
has told us and what he has promised us is about to be realized. Then through the rest of chapter 24, Jesus teaches about the tribulation, about the rapture of his children. He says in verses 24, uh, 36, that no one knows the day or hour of his return. And then he says, we've got to be alert and you, and you can't be complacent or dull about what's going on. Now all that, uh, that pre-information prior to chapter 25 is to say we are not living in a stagnant time. We're not living in a time where there's, uh, every time I hear people say, well, in 50 years or in 100 years, we have no guarantee we have 50 days or 50 hours or 50 minutes. So we're not living in a time where it's just, well, the world's happening and things are going on, no big deal, and, and Jesus is far away. What Jesus is telling us is that any day or any hour, he can return. And that we, as we're going to see in this chapter, in chapter 25 this morning, we need to be prepared. Now look at chapter 25 and verse 1, and let's see how he segues into this with a parable. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now when the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and for you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came and said, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Jesus speaking now, Be on alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. For the last week we have seen report after report after report, weather forecast warnings about this hurricane. In fact, I haven't watched that much, but I consider Governor Scott now to be one of my friends because I've seen him so often. I've lost track of how many times I've heard the TV say, you have to evacuate. You have to get out. The storm is gigantic. You, if you stay, you may die. The storm surge is going to be 15 feet, 10 feet. I didn't really understand that concept, even though I've lived through two hurricanes. I didn't understand that until I saw a guy standing on the beach last night, and he said, the water, when it comes in, is going to be four feet over my head. So even if you're at 13 feet sea level, two miles back from the beach, now they're saying, I heard on the radio this morning, now they're saying that means that 15 feet of water is coming in. So if you're at 13 feet sea level, you're going to have two feet of water in your house. This, this storm is so huge, and there's been warnings, and, and yet last night there are still people taking pictures on the beach, and, and I listened to one interview with a guy who was so nonplussed about saying, he's like, I'm on the 8th floor of my condo, and we have a generator, and we'll be fine, we're not going to worry about it, my wife and kids are here, and we got food, we're going to be great. Now that's his choice, and he may be perfectly fine, but it's not necessarily the wise choice, because the unpredictability of this storm 
creates such a lack of uncertainty about where it could hit and what seems safe on face value might actually be the worst possible decision. Now that's Jesus's point. If you look back at chapter 25, this is what he's saying about his return. He's saying you don't know when it's going to happen. You can't predict all that's going to take place. So you should be alert and prepared. And the parable he tells about these ten virgins, and and what that means is these are ten kind of bridesmaids. They're waiting for the groom, that they're going to be the ones when he shows up, that they're going to take him and they're going to escort him into the bride. So he says, now these are are ten bridesmaids and they're waiting for the groom to come. The spiritual parallel is very clear. These ten virgins represent the church anticipating when we will be united with Jesus Christ and our salvation will be complete and we'll spend eternity with him. So Jesus is saying here that that we have an important calling, we have a important responsibility to be prepared, to be watching and waiting, not not passively, not sitting back. The, 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 The emphasis here is to be faithful and to be strong and to anticipate. Now, obviously, when you look at the text, there's a discrepancy in the preparation, right? Five of the ten don't bring any oil. The other five do bring oil. Now, notice in this that he doesn't say that the five are good and the five are bad. Instead, he uses the words wise or prudent and foolish. Now, why do we make that distinction? Why is it important that it's not good or bad, that it's wise and foolish? Well, it's important because when Jesus returns, there will be many people who think that they are in relationship with him and who somehow resemble those who love is appearing, and yet their, their disaffected attitude toward his return tells a different truth. See, Jesus assures us in John 6 that he will never lose, he will never cast out those who are truly his, but that on the last day, he will raise them up in victory and that they will have eternal life. So in the case of this text, because it says that he shuts the door and he says, I don't even know you, we have to conclude that those who are shut out, that those who are left behind were never his at all. And he's clearly telling us that those who love him will be prepared. They'll be looking for his return. Now, there's one other important indicator that reinforces us and tells us that's right. Because in the Old Testament, the concept of oil, all right, that's what we see in the text, concept of oil was a symbol of God's approval and blessing. Remember when they anointed a king, what would they do? He would kneel down and they would pour oil over his head. That was a, that was a sign of God's hand. That was a sign of God's blessing. So the concept of oil was, was that the person was set apart to serve the Lord. That in the New Testament, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, both as an anointing and a seal on the believer, and also in terms of the component of healing. When they would have healing, the Bible says, if you want prayer, call the elders of the church, and they will bring oil, and they'll anoint you with oil, and that you, they will pray for you. The concept is that oil is the sign of God's hand, God's anointing, God's blessing, God's help, God's healing. Which means that while it looks for some 
that they know him and that they're anticipating his return, the fact that they are not prepared tells a different story. Now, as I mentioned at the start, this has been illustrated this week by all the hurricane preparation. And as you've probably watched this, because you can't really annoy it, uh, ignore it, it's everywhere, but, but there's been the usual variety of reactions to the hurricane warning, right? There are 7 million people that got out of the state, that headed to Georgia, headed to the Carolinas. Uh, and then there was the story I read last night about a bar on the coast, of course, owned by a former resident of Wisconsin who's never been through a hurricane. But, but this bar, all the patrons were at the bar, and they were all sitting on the stools, and some of them were bearing, uh, wearing big red life vests, and they said, we're just going to sit here and drink and get through the storm. See, there's different kinds of reaction, and I think, and I want to share this with you this morning, encourage you to take some notes. There, there are three different types of response to the warning. Now, the hurricane warning and the spiritual warning go hand in hand because the responses don't vary. So when people heard, heard, Irma's coming, it's huge, it's massive, it's going to cover the state, it's not going away, it's going to hit, there, there were three reactions. When people read this text, Matthew 25, there are the same three reactions. Reaction number one, run away and try to find safety. Run away and try to find safety. Now, this is a logical approach, seemingly, but it becomes a problem if the information you're given as you run away is misguided or wrong. See, the technology's so good, right? They're able to, to watch the storm. They're talking about millibars. I don't know what a millibar is, but it's there. And if it's low, it's worse. And if it's high, it's better. And they're talking about wind speed and storm surge and all that kind of stuff. But, but as I watched during the week, they kept predicting the storm. It's going to come this way, and it's going to this way. And there's a, there's a cone. Everybody heard the word cone this week? Not ice cream cone. The cone of the hurricane. And, and, and it's, it's within the cone. It's going to go this way, and it's likely to do this, and, and all that kind of stuff. They, they predicted it's going to kind of skirt along Cuba, and then it's going to head north. The problem was that all of them failed to conclude that instead of going straight through Miami and up to Orlando, that the thing was going to jog west, and now it's going to hit Fort Myers in Tampa. See, even with all the technology, they messed up. So imagine how unhappy all the people were who were on the east coast of Florida and said, we're going to get it the worst. And they drove over to the west coast of Florida thinking, well, we'll kind of get away with it. And now they're stuck there. Or they headed north on the highway, thinking we'll outrun it, not realizing that there was going to be dozens of miles of traffic and that there was no longer any gas in the middle of the state. And then there were reports that people were stuck on the highway out of gas, sitting in the median with their kids with nowhere to go. Now, in both cases, they listened to counsel, but the counsel turned out to be wrong. And the end result of listening to the wrong counsel became more dangerous. Now look back at verse 3. Maybe that was the case with the five virgins. They figured that any delay would be minimal. 
They concluded, we don't need the extra oil because the groom will come when he's supposed to come. But then the groom doesn't show up and they don't have the supply they need. See, that's an indication spiritually of not being filled by the Holy Spirit where the supply in the person is non-existent because they've listened to the deception of the enemy and they think that their wisdom and their effort will be sufficient and acceptable, but it's not. There are so many people this morning that are running from the love and the grace of God and they're following the deception that the enemy's putting forth or they're relying on their own strength to get through. And I want to tell you this morning, very humbly, that will never, ever work out. And as believers, we should know that that's true because we see the difference, don't we, between who we were before Christ and who we are after Christ. And we see when we fall back a little bit and we slide back and we allow sin to enter into our lives, we know how miserable it is and how tortured our mind is and how unpleasant and far from the Lord we are. And we know that that's not the way to go. So Jesus says to us, look at it. He says, you need to be wise in your understanding of what is true and what is needed. Because not only has he made the offer of grace and salvation abundantly clear to the extent that Jesus himself came to be our sacrifice, but he's also given us clear warnings about the danger of rejecting him. When you get down to it, salvation through Christ is so logical and so reasonable and so right, especially when it's held up against the alternative, that somehow I can save myself. Thinking I can save myself is like standing on a beach without any protection in the middle of a 150-mile-an-hour hurricane and saying, well, I'm just going to be fine. If you've never trusted Jesus... And I'm not going to assume that about anybody. But if you've never trusted in Jesus, you're going to keep running and you're going to keep looking for a better option. And I'm going to tell you, there isn't one. He is the only option. We sang it just a couple minutes ago. He bled and died to do what? To take away my sin. And he is more than willing, more than willing to save you forever. But there will come a day when the opportunity to be rescued is gone. And if you already know him and you've already trusted in him, we have got to stay in his word and we've got to listen to the spirit so we are not deceived by the enemy because Jesus says no one knows the day or hour, but there are multiple passages throughout the New Testament where he says just because you don't know, don't get complacent. See, when you look back at it, it says in verse, where is it? Verse 5, that all the virgins fell asleep. In other words, even the ones who are prepared got drowsy and complacent. And we have to be careful, believer, don't we, that we don't become drowsy or complacent or we don't become so discouraged by the culture and so disheartened that Jesus hasn't come back yet that, that we led our guard down. We have to be alert and prepared and ready. So the first response to the warning is to run. The second response is to deny it's happening or to get overconfident. I was amazed by the number of people that decided finally yesterday, oh, we better leave. 
And then they went to shelters thinking, well, okay, we waited till the last minute, let's go to a shelter. I'm pretty sure I heard this correctly. There was one shelter where there was a five-mile line to get in. Now, at that point, you're, you, you've got a problem, right? And, of course, there are all those people uh, that, that stayed, some on Key West, which is getting hit as we speak, that, that the governor finally said last night, it's too late, like you, you waited too long. We're not even sure the, the bridge that goes from Key West up to the mainland, that may be underwater. And, and if you're waiting for, for, you know, if you're expecting that we're going to come and help you right after the storm stops, you're mistaken. It's going to be days and days and days. See, thinking that it's not a big deal, thinking that that storm surge isn't going to affect you is wrong. And if you look back at verse 8 for a moment, this is what Jesus is talking about. He says, when the time comes, when I will return, which no one knows, some of you are going to say, and this is what the text is talking about, some of you are going to say, oh, we didn't prepare, help us now. We've had 2,000 years of warning. With Irma, it was a week, which was sufficient for people to prepare. But for 2,000 years, Jesus has been saying, I'm coming back. The, 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 it's going to be called at some point. I'm, I'm going to have to stop showing mercy the way I've shown mercy, and I'm going to have to put an end to this. And, and those who have trusted me and loved me, I'm going to save forever. And those who haven't are going to have to face my discipline and my wrath. But, but I've given you plenty of warning. And unfortunately, at that point, it becomes too late. The door of opportunity for salvation has closed. In fact, when they say, well, what about us? Look at it. It seems almost harsh, but it's the truth. He says in verse 12, I don't even know you. See, for so many people this morning, there is a, a spiritual stubbornness toward Jesus Christ. Just refusing to listen to the truth. And, and the sad part of that is the truth is not harsh. And the truth is not brutal. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is willing to save any single person that trusts him. Forgiveness and freedom, listen, is available to anyone who believes. But it is a limited time offer. And the fact that so many people don't think that's real, or so many people don't care because they're self-confident. It highlights for us who do know him that we need to be very active in our preparation for his return. So let me ask you a question. Are you getting ready to meet him? If someone you loved and you hadn't seen for years that lives far away, if that person was coming to, to, to visit with you today and having lunch, I think about my mom. If, she was, if my mom was coming today for lunch, I don't think I'd be indifferent. I, I think I'd clean up the house. I think I'd get some food in for dinner. I think we would prepare maybe little cards for her and, and, and make up a room for it. I mean, we would do all kinds of things to prepare to honor her. So here's Jesus, who we love far more than family and friends. Here's Jesus, and he says, I'm coming back. Are you prepared for me? If Jesus came this afternoon... How would he find you? Who would you be with? What would you be doing? And would he be pleased? But, but, but even more than that, even if you're getting some rest or you're watching football, would he find your heart prepared? 
when he comes and he sees Paul Rhodes, would he say, that, that's a person who's walking faithfully with me. That's a person who's seeking my face. That's a person who's serving me and giving to me and trusting me and honoring me and telling people about me. They're prepared. They might be watching the game, but, but their heart is prepared for me. Or would he find us surprised? Oh, Lord, wait a second. I didn't know you were going to show up now. You ever had company show up too early and you're still cleaning? Like, oh, I'm not quite prepared and I haven't started the roast yet and whatever. Jesus says, you don't know the day or hour I'm going to show up. Be prepared. Just saying it's not going to happen or getting overconfident is not going to help us. Look at the third response. The third response to his return is to believe, respond, and minister. Believe, respond, and minister. Knowing the seriousness of eternity and knowing what really we see is just a rampant callousness, a rampant unresponsiveness of our culture, and even in some places in the church. The answer to the warning is not to give up and it's not to be dismissive, well, those people are going to get theirs, and, and who cares? They've rejected Christ for years. and that, That's not the answer. Instead, we need to be the ones who go into the areas of greatest danger to warn and to rescue. I've always had such great respect, and we have a lot of former firefighters or current fighter fighters here. We have some police officers here. I'm always so impressed by the first responders who go into those situations where it's not safe and it's not easy, and they go in either to convince people to move to safety or to pull out those in trouble. But, but there have also been other examples that we've seen in the news of, of regular people who are risking their own safety to make sure somebody dies, doesn't die. Now, those people aren't going into harm's way because they're foolish, because they don't know the reality of it, and they're just wandering around. And they don't go in because they're arrogant. Well, look at me. I'm going to come save you. They go in because there's a need. And they go in because they care about people. And that's a powerful picture of the calling that we have as believers to rescue the perishing. Do you know that all? How many know that old hymn, Rescue the Perishing? Not many of you. Let me read you the chorus of it. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Oh, that's good. That's good. Our job as believers who know Christ, who have been redeemed from our sin, who are secured forever, who are sealed with the oil of the Holy Spirit, who are adopted into Christ, who are promised eternity with Him forever, our job is not to sit back and go, wow, look at that storm. Wow, I feel bad for all those people that didn't, you know, they didn't get ready. Oh, well. Our job is to rescue the perishing. Our job is to care for those who are dying. Why? Because Jesus is merciful and Jesus will save. In other words, it's not just about making sure that we are safe and who cares about everybody else. We have a huge wonderful, joyful responsibility that's commissioned to us by Jesus himself. He says, you need to be the spiritual first responder. 
You need to be the one who goes and warns, who directs, who encourages, who pulls out uh, people out of uh, difficulty, who, who loves, who ministers to, who prays, who comes alongside and ultimately gets people to understand the salvation of God. Listen, let me say this very carefully and with great love. These, these storms, these earthquakes, these threats for some crazy dictator, they are nothing, they are nothing compared to what's coming. The world will be absolutely devastated. There will be chaos and ruin beyond anything that man can comprehend. And people will be beyond overwhelmed. There will be catastrophe on catastrophe on catastrophe. And it is coming. Now, we don't say that with joy because we know that when that happens, people will have missed the opportunity to be saved. And we live in a time and in a country where it is so uh, much less challenging and so much easier to be saved and to walk with Christ than it will be in that time. So we study the word and we hear this warning and we know that God has given us insight and we know that man's sin is obvious and that there's a need for Christ. So what do we do? Do we sit back and watch or do we go out and respond because we have the ability to tell people about the grace of God? And like the warnings we've seen all week, we have to give that message with deep love, with genuine concern about the souls of people who are perishing. And as the time gets shorter and shorter and shorter, the message becomes more and more urgent. I remember my dad preached a message four or five years ago when we were meeting downtown. Many of you remember it. Never forget it. He was speaking about prophecy in the end times, and he said a sentence that has always stuck with me. He said, the trumpet's already out of the case. In other words, there's nothing left to be fulfilled before Jesus returns. Literally, any day, any hour, any moment, it could happen in the next 30 seconds. At any time, he can return. So, three questions. Number one, are you ready? Not just to see heaven, not even so quickly, Lord Jesus, come. We're so tired of this mess. We just want to be in heaven with you. Not, not just that, but are you ready to greet him? Are you ready to see him as one of his faithful, steadfast children who's laboring intensely and seeking his face and looking for his return? Are you ready? Second, are you prepared? When he comes, will he look at Paul Rhodes and say, oh, he's full of my spirit. He is so faithful to me. He's in love with me. He's in love with my word. He calls on my name. He spends so much time in my presence. There's an unwavering passion for me. Oh, I'm so ready to see him. Are we that prepared? Or is it kind of, yikes, well, okay, that's it's kind of waking me up. I, I'm not really prepared to meet him today. And third, and very important, are we ministering? Knowing the stakes, knowing 
how blinded and, and resistant people are to Jesus Christ, knowing that the danger is there, that the warning signs are up, that the hurricane flags are flying spiritually, that the wind is whipping, that the end is near. Knowing that, are we even more stirred up to tell people about Christ? To go into the difficult areas, to, to rescue those that are in danger. See, that's not a horrible calling. That's an exciting calling. There's nothing better. I was telling somebody this week, there's nothing better in ministry than seeing the light bulb go on in people's eyes. To see the awakening of their hearts where they go, oh, I get it. God loves me. Oh, I get it. God is sufficient. Oh, I get it. I can trust in him. When that happens, that's the joy of ministry. And listen, we have the responsibility now to go and to reach people who are in danger, who are, who are dying, and to say, God loves you. And to see that light bulb go on in their heart. And to say, oh, praise the Lord. God is so good. Jesus is willing to save me. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Oh, we have to see that throughout this fall and throughout this winter. And there are going to be new opportunities. New ways we get to do that. New ways to prepare ourselves to go do the work of ministry that's before us. I'm excited about it. Even as we study the book of Joshua, we're going to talk about it in terms of outreach. Because God is wonderful, isn't he? Aren't you so glad for his mercy? Let's thank him for it.